invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of Ruth. We'll be here today and then next Sunday as well. We have wrapped up our brief study in the book of Judges, and now we turn our attention to the book of Ruth. Chapter 1, verse 1 begins this way. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. See, Ruth takes place in the time of the judges. The book of Ruth is Israel's story. It's Israel's story told through rebellious Judahites. It's told through a faithful convert from an enemy people. Ruth's story is told, Israel's story is told through a self-sacrificing redeemer. I want to start our time together by just reminding us that the book of Ruth is Israel's story. And as we walk together these next two Sundays with with Ruth, we will see that it becomes our story as well. To that end, will you join me with prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word, which is living and active in the form of Jesus Christ, and now in these scriptures, open our ears, our eyes, that we might hear, we might see more of Christ in these words, that the life of Christ might be made manifest in our lives, that we might be humble servants of you, obedient to your word, for the good of your people and for the life of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So the book of Ruth is Israel's story. We encounter from 1-1 and on a picture of rebellion. Then we, picture, we have a picture of judgment, a picture of faith, and a picture of redemption. That's Israel's story. That's our story. That is the story of Ruth. From rebellion to judgment to faith and redemption. So verse 1 and 2 of Ruth Chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in a country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Melon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the hill country of Moab and remained there. Now, this is actually a picture of rebellion, and it may not seem like it on first glance. The images that we encounter here should have an ominous ring to our ears, if we have ears to hear. See, in the books of Judges, uh, Genesis through Judges, there's famines a lot in the land, isn't there? And whenever there's famine in the land, it means that God's judgment is on the land because God's people have rebelled against him. So throughout the book of Judges, you see famine after famine. In Genesis, you see famine after famine. And what is required is repentance. It's the same way in the garden when Adam and Eve sin, the land spits them out. And so we have here a people in the land being spit out. There's famine in the land of milk and honey. Here in Judah, in Bethlehem, there is famine. Now, we can understand the need for food, can't we? In a time of famine, we can understand the desire to do whatever cost we need to survive. But we see throughout Scripture that Israel's first act is a deed of repentance. Now, when Israelites would hear this story, I imagine anyway, that when they hear a family leaving Bethlehem and going to Moab, I imagine there could be an audible gasp. I don't know if that would be the case or not. But there's, it would be such a shocking thing to have a family from Bethlehem go down to Moab. Why? Well, I mean, Moab has never been a place for Israel. 
to find bread or help. You remember when in the wilderness wandering they were going through, almost getting to the land, and they go through the land of Moab, and they ask the Moabites, hey, we need some bread, some water, we're just passing through. What do you say? Can you help us out? And the Moabites said, get lost, right? God had some hard words for the Moabites then. Later on in Israel's history, they, the Moab hires a guy named Balaam to curse them. Right? So this, this, is, this is Moab. The Moabites are enemies, sworn enemies of the living God. Where is your faith, Elimelech? You know, his name means, my God is king. Elimelech, my God is king. Why would you seek refuge in the wilderness of your enemies? This is Israel's story from the garden to the kings through the judges. When the husband or the ruler leads the bride astray in covenant infidelity, what happens? The curse of death is upon the people, right? Verse 3 and following, we see this. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. The curse of death is upon them. See with the serpent's uh, promise in the garden. You remember that. You will not surely die. That's the promise of every sin, right? You will not, every temptation, you will not surely die, right? But the wages of sin is death. Stories of God's deliverance would have run rampant throughout the land at this time. Echoes of, remember Ehud? Remember Gideon? You remember Deborah? Ah, Samson. God has raised up for us, deliverer upon deliverer, to judge, to rule over us. Elimelech and family lived in Bethlehem of Judah, in the land flowing with milk and honey, Beth city, Lachem, bread. There's famine in the house of bread. And the leader, the ruler, the husband leads the bride out of that land into the enemy's wilderness. God's people turn from their, if they would turn from their wicked ways and trust in him, then the name of Bethlehem would hold true. That would be a house of bread once more. But it requires repentance. It requires the people of God in rebellion to turn from their rebellious ways and turn to him. The wages of uh, Elimelech's rebellion is death. You shall surely die. But in the midst of death, God provides hope for restoration, for resurrection. Look at verse 6. Then she arose, okay? This is, this is Naomi. She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people, given them food. Apparently, repentance has happened. That God's favor is upon the people once again. Verse 7. So Naomi set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. We have a picture of rebellion in the first few verses of chapter 1. What we see, there's, there's hints of hope, but there's still judgment falling on the rebellious people. I mean, look, we got, what you have here is you've got three widows now going from Moab up to the land uh, of Judah once again here for Naomi. But how much opportunity is there to survive for three widows in that day, in that place? So we can understand Naomi's desire to send those daughters-in-law back with their families once again. Maybe they'll have better luck there. She wishes God's mercy on them 
back in Moab. Naomi exhorts these two daughters-in-law to go back and become Moabites once again, the enemies of God's people. Verses 8 and 9, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. So that's Naomi's exhortation. Go back to your families. Now in verses 10 through 13, there's a back and forth between Naomi and then Orpah and Ruth. They want to stay with Naomi, but she argues convincingly. First of all, Naomi's saying, hey, my womb is barren. There's no hope to carry on the family name of my husband. The family name will die with me as it's died in Moab. Secondly, even if I were to have sons, says Naomi, are you going to wait decades as widows for them to get older, old enough to marry? Would you wait that long in widowhood? And thirdly, she asked them basically this, why would you join me in my bitterness? See, she says, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. All you do in joining with me is to join yourself to bitterness. Those are her reasons for sending them back to Moab. She's saying, God has gone out against me. Why would you come and serve me or the God in whom I have served? Now, Naomi is correct in pointing the finger at God for the death of her husband and her sons. The scriptures tell us this, right? But she fails to acknowledge the rebellion of her husband who offers no repentance, she likewise offers no repentance for fleeing the God of the land of milk and honey. Her angry eyes scowl at God, exhorting the other two women to flee his presence. Go back. Go back to your people, your ways, your enemy lands, your false gods. Naomi, like the land, is under God's judgment. However, in the face of death, hope rises. We have in Ruth a picture of Faith from rebellion and judgment. As we read through the book of Judges, we see hope rises in the faith of a few. So verse 14 of our passage, after this argument back and forth, verse 14, then they lifted up their voices, wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to Naomi. Naomi convinces Orpah to return to false gods and enemy nation, but Ruth clings to Naomi. She clings. That's the same word of a, of, a, of, a, of a man clinging to his wife from Genesis 2. It's the word that Joshua uses as the, coming into the, the, the land. He exhorts the people conquering the land to cling to God. Don't cling to Canaanite gods. Ruth, the foreigner, the Moabitess, is clinging to the remnant of God's people. Remnant of the land found in Naomi, God's representative to the nations. So there's this embittered Naomi seeking to lead Ruth away from the land and from her God. Yet Ruth clings to her only source of hope in God's people. And those famous lines from chapter 1 verse 16 and following read this way. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So this is 
an image of faith. That's what I like about these stories, is you have an image of faith here. We tend to think of faith or understand faith in terms of a set of beliefs and doctrines that one must cling to, to believe in, and that is true. Faith is not less than that. But the scriptures tell us that even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. The demons were the first ones to recognize Jesus for who he really is, and they shuddered, right? There's action here. If Ruth is the story of Israel, then verses 16 and 17 seems to me it's the story of faith. There is solidarity in Ruth's abiding with Naomi, lodging with her. But see, the, the image here is more than familial love, a daughter-in-law love for her mother-in-law. See, they are returning to God's gifted land, the place where his glory dwells. Ruth is God's foreign enemy, yet she is committing to covenant fidelity, faithfulness to God in his land and to his people. Ruth seeks to cling, to unite herself to God's people. Broken though they be, she's uniting herself to God's people. Restoration is happening in Judah and in Bethlehem. And in that place, Ruth seeks salvation. The God of your people, your land. See, he will be my God, and I will be his people. All her life, is she, she's committing, Ruth is committing all of her life to Naomi, the people of Naomi, the land of Naomi, the God of Naomi. Even in death, she says, where you die, I will die. Seems Strange for us to think of death in that way. But remember Sarah, Abraham's wife, she was buried in the land. Remember Joseph commanded that his bones be carried. Jacob commanded that his bones be taken from foreign lands to be buried in the land. In Christ, now it doesn't matter where we die and are buried. At the time when the judges ruled, it did matter. It was important in life and in death. Solidarity with God's people and God's place to live, to die in him, in his land, in his Place. This is the promise of solidarity. That's a committing one's entire life, entire being to another. This is the image of faith that I think is so helpful in the book of Ruth. The sum of faith is this, it's just the action of loving God and identifying with him in all the spheres of our lives. The action of loving God in identifying with him in all the spheres of our life. And does Ruth ever count the cost? She says, may it May the Lord do so to me and also, if I fail here. And what's the imagery? The imagery is of a person tearing their clothes. May the Lord do so to me and more also if I fail, if I am unfaithful. May he tear me in like manner should I break my covenant. Wow, Ruth here. It's a, it's a picture of, of humble faith. In some ways, it's a contrast to Naomi's faith, lack of faith, isn't it? But we have here a, a confidence, a humble faith in the God of Israel. Israelites would hear or read this story. Of course, they would associate themselves with both Naomi and Ruth. Who are we? Ruth is a picture of salvation. The fact that it says that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And Ruth, the Moabitess, is outside the covenant people of God. And yet God gives the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Ruth is the hope for the nations. If ever there were a text that speaks of God's love for the nations, it is Ruth. 
We see here again a foreigner, a Gentile, an enemy of God, brought into the fold of God merely by His grace, only by His grace. It gives us confidence to call upon Him and to call out to others the good news of Jesus Christ, that our meager efforts will bear fruit as we share the gospel with others. So back in Ruth's day, two women returned to the house of bread that had been barren, and it is now harvest time. The end of verse 19, as they return, the women of the, the community say, Is this Naomi? Verse 20, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. Is that true? Did you go away full? The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. However weak Naomi's faith. Here's what I want us to see. We probably don't hold up at this point Naomi as a beacon of faith and hope, right? She's kind of bitter. Can you blame her? Can you resonate with that? Bitterness? The disappointment with God? Frustration with life? It's just not worked out as we'd hoped. Her heart remains bitter. Yet what... Here's the thing. She's moving in the right direction, isn't she? She's moving back to the land. She's going back to Bethlehem. Whatever her motives are, she's moving back to the land. She's moving toward God. I think that's worth meditating on a bit. There is yet hope, though calamity has befallen her. Verse 22, so Naomi returned. Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Great, isn't it? Where does the chapter begin? Famine in the land. Where does the chapter end? Barley harvest. We have a picture of redemption starting to form in the life of Ruth and Naomi here. Look at two, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she sets out to glean. There's a picture of redemption in the book of Ruth here. Redemption is found in the fields of the land flowing with milk and honey. Naomi and family had earlier abandoned the house of bread for fields of enemy Moab. And where they found only death there in those ten years, Naomi now returns with a faithful Ruth to the fields that are ripe for barley harvests in the land or the house of bread. See, two poor widowed women, they possess bleak hope for provision. Their hope only lies in the God of mercy, the God of justice. See, the God of Judah, uh, the, uh, of Israel, the God of Naomi is the God of justice and the God of mercy. What we'll see over the next few chapters here in the next sermon, we'll see that God had given lands. where It established for farmers at harvest a reason to be merciful or a method for mercy and showing justice. They were forbidden to pluck the corners of the field to harvest there. And as they were harvesting, as little bits of grain would drop from the ears, they weren't to gather that up. They were to leave that to the poor, the orphaned, the widow, the stranger. They're called gleaners. 
Commands are given to God's people to leave grain dropped for the poverty-stricken gleaners of their people. As James says in chapter 1, the religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. That text, those words echo from here. We meet Boaz. His name means strength. A relative of, of Elimelech, of Naomi's deceased husband. We find out soon that since Elimelech has died, his name, his lineage would die in Moab there. There was no, uh, no ancestor, no son to carry on the name. And so we're introduced to Boaz here who would have a responsibility to marry Elimelech's wife and thereby perpetuating the name, the line, the inheritance in the land which God had allotted. Now, there's a small problem with this setup in Naomi's situation. She's barren. No hope for children anymore. Naomi is beyond childbearing years, so we enter Ruth, who it says in verse 3 of chapter 2, says that by chance she enters Boaz's field to glean, hoping to find favor. Boaz sees her in the field, and he asks his hard-working harvesters to identify for him, who is this poor gleaner that has just come into his field? And thereby, his responsibility. Who is this woman? When informed that it is the Moabitess Ruth who has bound herself to Naomi, now the bitter one, Boaz addresses Ruth directly in verse 8. Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. And so the verses that follow echo. We'll talk more next Sunday about why it is that Boaz is so quick to act in this way and how he's being obedient to God's word and as he cares for Ruth in this way. But for now, just let it know that what we see in these verses is that Boaz's plan here is to provide for Ruth and Naomi in every way possible. His fields will feed them well enough. There's no need to go after other fields. You got to hear echoes there, don't you? Where did Elimelech go? Fields of Moab. What does Boaz promise Ruth and Naomi? You don't have to go to other fields. My field will provide. This is Israel's story told through the life of Ruth and Naomi. Boaz will provide for her in every way. Boaz will protect her, will give her drink when no, where no ordinary gleaner would ever have access to the same water that she gets. Boaz hopes to redeem Ruth from, from poverty, from hunger, from danger, even from Naomi's bitterness. And when Ruth wants to know why, he replies in verse 11 and 12, She's asking, why has she found favor? Boaz asks, answers her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me in how you left your father, mother, native land, came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done. Full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is saying, I will act this way, but we know it is under Yahweh's wings that you have come. He will protect you. He will provide you. May the Lord bless your faithfulness. Beyond redemption of provision and protection, Boaz then feasts Ruth at his table. Look at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, by the way, this would never happen to gleaners for the master's house. Come here, 
eat some bread, dip your morsel in wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some leftover. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. See, the sheaves, that's part of the harvest. This is more than the gleanings that would fall, right? He's actually giving her part of the harvest. It's not the meager gleanings. The bundles were justly reserved for those harvesters to dine with the master of the house, to eat of his bread, to drink of his wine. No poor widow gleaner would have such access, such help. Ruth, then you see her. Can't you see her? She's packing up her styrofoam to-go boxes, right? She's called an Uber. It's so much. She has to get an Uber to get the, the, the leftovers home. It's so much, so bountiful. The widowed outcasts dine then together as queens in the protection and the provision of their king. And Naomi begins, begins to soften. Look at verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. More next week on this law of one redeemer saving another here. But for now what we see is their sorrow throughout the whole of chapters 1 and 2 is being turned into laughter, where sadness is now being turned into joy, where bitter Mara is being remade, recreated as a pleasant Naomi once again. Why? Because their long-awaited, their long-hoped-for, even their unlooked-for Redeemer has come, and in His presence there is fullness of joy. Ruth's story is Israel's story become our story where God is merciful even to his enemies to bring them into the fold of his people. And redemption is that mystery of, of, of God's provision, his grace and his mercy wed together in the actions of a fallen and broken people. And yet out of that mess and mire comes salvation. It's in that story of God's redemption where death still stings and bitterness still bites it's in that story where salvation has the last word. And we find ourselves in Naomi, don't we? Sad that life has frustrated us, embittered because God has failed us. We find ourselves in Ruth, holding tightly as we can, clinging as best we can to a redeemer. And good as Boaz is, our book will end in death. A grave as hungry as ever to consume. God's people moving already to the next step of rebellion. But we also see that from the lineage of Ruth, spoiler alert, who marries Boaz, wed together a child is born. The seed of God's ultimate reserve, or redeemer has been preserved. Out of that womb, a child is born the line of whom that holy seed leads to God's Redeemer in Jesus Christ. For from this line, God's Redeemer, God's only Son, takes on flesh. And in the same way that Ruth will hide under God's wings, in the same way that he, she will hide under the garments of Boaz, so we are given God's Redeemer, His only Son, to hide under the wings of His shelter, under the clothes of His righteousness. 
And we too are fed at a table laden with, with rich fares of grace, of mercy, of love. We too are committed to his people, to, to be where his people are, to live with his people, to die with his people, as his people. We walk together in his mercy. Ruth's redeemer, Boaz, will die. But we have a redeemer who is Jesus Christ who lives forever. And faith in him simply is an echo of Ruth's faith. Where we say, the death that you died, Jesus, we too will die. Where you go, we will go. Your people will be our people. Your father, our father. Your God, our God. This is the story of a rebellious people, disappointed with God and with life, rising to be fed in our Redeemer's grace and his mercy and his love at his glorious table. The one who endured our curse, that in him we might have life. So praise be to God that our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is come. Let us pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this story, and we find ourselves in this story. Give us patience to walk with you. Give us courage to be strengthened in your mercy and grace, to serve you all of our days. Bless the reading and hearing of your word to your people that we might serve you gladly all of our days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.